Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, we talk with high-conflict consultant Don Malcolm about radical acceptance, proper sources of validation, new perspectives, respecting your energy, and awareness. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today, we have Don Malcolm. How are you? I'm great, Brandon. How are you? I am doing well, and for those that don't know who you are, Don Malcolm is a high-conflict consultant with expertise in divorce and is also a member of our support group. And today we're going to be talking about radical acceptance, we're going to be talking about proper sources of validation, new perspectives on circular or high-tense conversations, respecting your energy, and bringing awareness to how you show up in other areas of your life. And before we get to that, if you want to be a guest on our Survivor Story episodes, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. There you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And Don Malcolm, you are a very valued member of our support group uh, in every single way. And I can't thank you enough for being part of that group. And you always bring not just validation for other people, but you are always someone who is, you know, just thinking about the next steps of what's going on. You're, you're a really deep processor and, and thinker and can really get to the root of things in, in ways that not too many people can. So we are going to talk about five different concepts today. And the first one is radical acceptance. So walk us through this concept. So yes, we are talking, you know, first here about radical acceptance. And uh, when I was first preparing this, I thought, do I put this at the beginning or at the end? And I think it belongs here at the beginning. And and why um, a big part of why I wanted to come on the show today and, and share some of the knowledge I've gained is when I was the person listening to this show and and trying to file for divorce and figure out what I was going to do with my child and confront all these huge questions that this situation brings up. Um, I I wanted advice that was tangible that I could do now, something I could 
do something with instead of hiring another professional or reading another book. I needed something now. And so this is information for everyone, but it's also kind of a letter to, to what I needed to hear as this listener almost two years ago now. So radical acceptance, I believe once you get to a place of radical acceptance, it can be the biggest time saver in a high conflict divorce or a high conflict breakup or any kind of ending of a, of a uh, high conflict situation. And radical acceptance is really coming to terms with reality as it is in kind of all of its ugliness, right? The unfortunate reality here when you're faced with a divorce from like a narcissist or a toxic person is that you're really facing a huge amount of injustice on many levels. And, and it feels blunt or harsh to say this information, but I think it would be doing it a disservice not to speak about it so honestly. So once you're able to accept the kind of terrible reality that you're in, that, you know, the person that you are trying to leave is going to increase their abusive tactics as you're leaving the process. You are positioned in kind of one of the worst times of your life having to be showing up in, in legal proceedings or dealing with legal professionals. You're at a place where emotions are running the game. There's not a lot of logical thinking or logical functioning happening. And you're being asked to show up in a complete opposite version of yourself and that reality in this moment. And so it's, it's a huge amount of injustice you face going into this. There's been lots of other experts that have shared on the show and a lot of the survivor stories that we hear tell us the child custody battle against a high conflict person is tough. It's unfair. It's invalidating. And it's because it's hard for people to accept this inconvenient truth that they could identify with such a terrible situation that they could potentially too be somebody that found themselves in the situation. So it's easier to deny um, than it is to confront that truth. So you're, you're up against a lot of injustice. You're not in a place where people can easily relate or identify what you're saying. So you're facing a lot of invalidation in public. You know, your friends or family might not be able to really grasp what's happening you are facing somebody who's increasing their abusive tactics because there's no longer the veil of the relationship for them to have to hide under. Um, your children are probably dysregulated and in a dysregulated state, you yourself are probably in that dysregulated state. Um, and, and so there's not an easy solve or easy answers here. So it can be hard to accept on face value when you maybe have been raised in a society that's telling you the mom gets the children, that the court system's going to have justice for you, that is going to see the abuse that has been done to you, that is going to stand up for children's rights. We, we rush into this process thinking that our experience will be validated to find a very different reality than what we were expecting. And this can be very alarming um, and can take many people a long time to come to acceptance that there's not a lot fair in this situation. I guess the silver lining there is once you get to acceptance with that, 
you're no longer fighting a cognitive dissonance state. You're, you're no longer having to try and buck up against something that's going to continue to tell you no. So I think coming to radical acceptance can be the number one timeline accelerator for your divorce. Because once you're there, once you have radical acceptance, you have a true look at the picture. And now you're able to do something with that information. You're able to make informed decisions from that information and pivot off of it in a way that is, is going to serve you best. So can you give me an example of when you uh, accepted this and how your view changed on a specific uh, thing that was going on within your divorce? I mean, I think this is a pretty common one. Most will experience this. A lot of women will go in thinking chances of me getting majority custody are high. And then they meet with their lawyer. And the lawyer says, hey, 50-50 is most likely. That's what the judge is going to try to put you with. And anything above 50-50, we're going to have to have a lot of evidence to prove. And that doesn't seem realistic with everything I heard on TV or everything friends or family would say. Like, oh, of course, you know, he's an alcoholic, right? You'll get right. It's not exactly as cut and dry as that. So I could continue to not see reality as it is and, and possibly incite a bigger fight in court than I intended to because I was going in with false information that that was going to be an easy win for me. And then now I'm adding to the cost of the litigation I'm adding to the stress I'm feeling um, on a day-to-day basis because I'm having to prove these claims, because I'm having to fight and hope that the courts will somehow match my reality that it should just be that I have a primary custody situation here. I should have more time with my child because I've been doing all of the work. I've been doing everything at home. The child's with me 90% of the time already. doesn't make sense that this would all of a sudden be a 50-50 situation. And that's true. It doesn't make sense, right? Um, and yet, that is the situation. And that's the reality of the family court systems today. And so one final word I guess I will put on coming to radical acceptance here is this is meeting truth where it's at. I think it's highly applicable in obviously the divorce world of high conflict, but that type of radical acceptance has applications in many different realms. If it's looking at a parent that has narcissistic traits and radically accepting who they are and how they show up, there's many ways that just seeing truth for what it is can really save you time in the healing process. 
So I think everything you stated applies to divorce, but it also applies to being in these abusive relationships themselves. And many victims are dealing with cognitive dissonance and are unable to really make informed decisions on what to do because the data in which they are being given is incorrect. And we've talked a lot uh, on our show before that an abuser is making themselves out to be this truth teller and they're trying to cast doubt on the data that you are creating, the data that is inside of you. They're trying to override that data with false code or false data that they're just trying to really put in there on you so you don't listen to the data that's coming from you. And it's hard to leave when you have this cognitive dissonance. It's hard to radically accept what is going on. It's hard to get the clarity needed to get radical acceptance. And I just wanted to point that out because that leads us to the next thing you wanted to discuss, which is, you know, getting the proper sources of validation. So take us through this concept. All right. So I think the finding proper sources of validation is a great place to start when you're considering this process, because you're fresh out of the relationship. You maybe still have some sort of tie to the person. Um, probably through kids, um, but you're weaning down the interaction, probably not living together anymore, experiencing all the feelings that come along with that. And so finding proper sources of validation for your experience is going to help not re-traumatize you as, as you interact in the world as a person outside of this relationship and going through divorce. This is a hard to grasp and understand situation. And often well-meaning people um, can, can throw their two cents in um, and, and be very invalidating, um, even if they're not trying to be. And so really considering where they are. So here's some obvious, a therapist is going to be a great proper source of validation, especially one who understands the type of abuse you've been through. And, you know, my personal favorite and the one that brought me the most was a support group. And I joined this support group when I started my divorce because I, I needed to make new connections and finding people that were on the same journey as me was a very validating experience. And, and I'll add in there, especially for, for moms going through divorce or parents going through a divorce and are like, oh, did I make the right decision here? Would it have been better for me to stay? One thing I really found in the support group was um, adult children of narcissists who were cheering me on and telling me I was making the right decisions for my son, even though it was brutal going through it at the time. And so being open to hearing kind of these experiences in a safe environment, that's really what a support group gave me. And, and there's lots out there, many that can speak to you, but uh, I know it's been a big source for me and others in our support group. And then, you know, consider when you're going to have a close friend or something, be part of that validation circle. Consider with your ex, is this, does this close friend, my ex have ties to them or do, do they have information on them? 
they be used as manipulation? Can they be turned into flying monkeys? If it's a, you know, a, a group of couples or like in my situation, um, I guess I can speak from personal experience here. I made the decision to cut off my group of friends, um, not cut them off, but not reach out to them and try to have them help me validate my experience because I know they knew my ex and I know it was going to be hard for them to grasp and hard for them to believe. And I knew that from an optic level, my ex had the groundwork laid to be the more sane appearing one and his narrative was going to be more believing. So had I involved those people in my story that gets information back to my ex through the grapevine, even if they didn't weren't intending to do something wrong with that information. So be careful with the close friends, careful with the coworkers who maybe just can't sit or hear somebody else's pain. And so they just need to make it go away. So they say something invalidating. You want to protect that. The last thing we want to do is induce more traumatizing experiences into your day to day. So really nail down what a proper source of validation is. So we've discussed radical acceptance and getting the proper validation. This moves us into the ability to have new perspectives, specifically in circular high-tension conversation statements, rebuttals, communication style, and changes. So walk us through this. So this one, uh, like perspectives on how to kind of... uh, Pivot your perception, bring air into change, change the point of view on these circular conversations um, that happen. And this one, I really thought about the episode you did last week where you, you know, dissected the conversation between an abuser and a survivor. And you could see all of the education the survivor had going into it really being clear on what their goals were, trying to stay on topic. And yet the abuser in that uh, conversation really still had a lot of room to maneuver. And it was very hard for that person, uh, even a very well-informed person to get out of that conversation in some sort of easy way. Um, And so these are some perspectives I'd like to bring (laughs) to these kind of conversations that maybe could help you not only in communication, like with a co-parent or communication with the person that you're leaving, like there's a certain amount of communication that happens or even can be useful if you're presenting in court, let's say, like how you show up in court um, and, and how you can deliver information effectively without it adding to the charge of the situation. So the person who asserts a claim has the burden of proof. This played in the last episode uh, where the survivor was talking with the abuser. And Brandon, I think you have the quote uh, ready. He accuses her. Yes, so the abuser says, I don't even know what to say. I'm so effing devastated by your decision and coldness. And then the victim responds, I don't feel like I'm being cold. So in this example... He's saying, hey, you're cold. And naturally, the survivor is is being defensive of that. Hey, I'm not a cold person. I'm a warm person, right? As we all would, this is a natural response. But a way to reframe this and a way to 
to help give you space in this conversation is the abuser asserts that she is being cold. It, it's then on him to prove that. So he has to prove that she's being cold. There's no, no need to defend, I'm not a cold person. And so this plays out in a lot of different ways. You can, it's curious, you can ask it a question. You can say, that doesn't reflect my personal experience. Could you please provide specific examples, right? That's if you're wanting to engage them in a way that you need this information for documentation, that you're wanting to show how they spent. If the point of this is to disengage completely, you wouldn't ask it a question. But that is a, that is a, a, a softening way to get information and, and, and what you're doing by responding to the claim of you're being cold and you're, you're retorting against it or you're saying or denying it is that you're accepting it as true. You've already validated the claim by responding to it. You do not validate the claim if you never, you know, hold it like it could possibly be true and it's worth defending yourself against. It never becomes adopted. But the point being, fighting, fighting back against the claim is going to do nothing for you but legitimize what they've said. And abusers count on things like this, these unconscious concessions that we make and in wanting to defend our character and our nature to be defensive of that. But, but what we're secretly doing is giving the claims validity. So if they make a claim that does not resonate with you, if you're in a conversation, if it's being presented in front of a judge, if it's in a mediation session, any of the avenues it plays out, it doesn't need to be responded to at all. And if it does have to be responded to, you can get curious with it. That's not my experience of the situation. Can you please provide some specific examples of why you think this should be true? Or this is a harsh accusation to make against me. Can you please give evidence to your claim here? And so this isn't an aggressive response. It's not going to make you look bad or unhinged. And it allows you to show up in kind of a more true uh, place of authority for your message instead of in a defensive kind of regressive place that, that is more kind of a backward movement. You can just stand still in that. Like if somebody makes the claim, they have the burden of proof. As a side note to that, the same is true when you're going into a divorce situation, if you are going to assert a claim against an abuser, it is going to be on you to provide the evidence to support that claim. And so while you may know that they're an alcoholic or you may know those things, court's going to be what's provable. And so if you go in making these claims without the evidence, you can get yourself into a bad situation. And so, you know, whatever claims are going, going around in these kind of high conflict, high turmoil, high, turmoil, high stress situations um, need to be backed if they're going to be set. When interacting with somebody like this, when you're participating in these circular conversations, adopt the idea that less is more. So the more words you give back in whatever way, shape, or form, the more opportunities for manipulation you're offering the other side. And so being short with your words, being kind of blunt and to the point, 
you know, there's lots of communication systems out there. You can refer to the BIF communication system and all of those. But really, the key here and like the helpful advice for now is just limiting ambos, limiting opportunities. So if that's, you know, for me, I would visualize this in a way of like, if I was playing a game against somebody, I would want them to have less shots to fire back. So I'm going to give them less opportunity to fire back shots by, by giving less balls. It, it can be a really good exercise that kind of practice and builds your body's natural ability to be able to respond in this way. So if you do get into high pressure presentation points, like in front of a court or things are being called into question, um, and in any way, you are building kind of this resilience to sit still and steady in these, in these short responses that offer the information and, and nothing more. And that's going to throw whoever you're interacting with, especially a highly toxic person, off balance a little bit. They are counting on you kind of having this verbal overflow so they can find the weakest point in it and attack it. And so if you can limit it, you're saving yourself a world of hurt. I would probably say that's the second most valuable thing you can use besides radical acceptance. It's just less ammo for the other side. And so it's really editing and really only saying what you know to be true. No justification in the game is needed. So we've been discussing concepts today that could be helpful in alleviating pressure in situations. It gives you clarity, balance, balance being a really big word, specifically if you are a single mom. And this brings us, when we're talking about balance, to respecting your energy. And respecting your energy also applies to everyone. You don't want to burn out. It's just not an option. So walk us through respecting your energy. So yeah, when we're talking about respecting kind of your energy, solving a big problem, one, one of the pieces to that puzzle is resources. So what resources you have? And I'm going to argue that you're your biggest resource in this overall calculation. And so really getting clear and starting to think about things in a what do I expend my energy on and what value is it bringing back to me? You know, it's, it's a very common line to say, make sure you take care of yourself, self-care. Like, what does that mean? And like, how can that be a motivating force for you? So I recently heard refuse to burn out. So like, make that a goal for yourself, kind of a, a passion and I, I'm going to refuse to burn out because I'm protecting the most vital resource I have in solving this problem myself. Because what I'm showing up as in this situation is I'm showing up as this child's only healthy parent and source of stability. I'm showing up as defending myself possibly in the legal realm. I'm showing up as taking on all the responsibilities of running a household and on and on and on and on. So really getting clear on what are you putting your energy into? So if you're putting a ton of energy into, let's say helping a friend because you still want to feel like you and be a good person or help, or you feel obligated in some way, is it worth 
the two hours of energy a week you're spending on doing some sort of activity at that, like that. And would that be better to be limited um, and, and spent on extra sleep or spent on documenting, you know, kind of the behavioral timeline of what's going on in your divorce. So you have evidence when it comes to um, it fighting for your child. Uh, there, there's a lot of different ways that it can show up. So it's on you to kind of figure out what your en energy expenditures are and, and what you're taking in and what's going out and balancing that checkbook almost in kind of a, in a mathematical way. So I have an example of this, of how this played out for me. And when I left my relationship and was in the single mom and divorce and work and all of it, um, my hypervigilance was so high that when I would go to the grocery store, especially if I had to go with my son, it was by the time I completed that mission and got home, I was depleted. There was nothing left for anyone. And I couldn't be present with my child. I couldn't, you know, let alone barely put up the groceries um, and tend to all the different tasks and needs. So I made the decision to increase my grocery budget to allow for the delivery service to bring it to me because that was too high of an energy expenditure for the other places I need to show up in my life. Needed to show up as, as a present parent because I had so few moments of presence because I was dealing with a lot. PSD, still actively being traumatized, being highly invalidated. So that seemed like a worthwhile investment to make. So start thinking about things in, in a refusal to burn out perspective. I'm not going to burn out because like I've got to protect that resource. What can I do um, to make it balanced? And, and where am I willing to make cuts um, and, and different you know, trades in order to protect that? So we've talked about radical acceptance, proper validation, new perspectives, respecting your energy. So how do we bring the awareness of all of these things together? This is kind of a high, kind of a big picture, a very zoom out concept, but really looking at your interactions with other people. It can be at work. It could be interpersonally. It could be at the school wherever, but how do you show up in all of those situations? Because that's going to inform your perspective of how you're probably showing up in the legal arena, how you're showing up with your lawyer and how you're showing up as a co-parent. The point I'm making here is that for a lot of us coming out of abuse or the type of people we are that get us into abusive relationships are that we, we make concessions easily. Maybe we walk into rooms with the perspective that I'm not good enough on my own and that I have something to prove, that I have something to show up to in that way. Could be at work. Maybe you're somebody who sees, a, you know, a hole that's not being filled and is picking up that extra work and filling that hole without really having to be asked to do it because you're smart, you're confident, you're capable, you can. What ends up happening is you bring this kind of energy in to the room where people are allowed to dump on you. So start checking yourself to if there's, you know, if this fits a theme, if you're walking into work and it's, hey, people are just okay to 
push something off onto you, but maybe with your coworker, if you try to push something off onto them or if somebody else pushes something onto them, they're, you know, kind of rejecting it. And so the work keeps coming to you because you're opening yourself up to it. And so when you're noticing it, how it plays out in different areas of your life, you can also kind of play with what it feels like to no longer show up that way no longer kind of be the leaky hole that allows people to dump things on them um, and, and figure out and, and see what it feels like to kind of stand firm in a boundary to build the familiarity. So when you're in a high pressure situation, like in a divorce, you're not showing up as kind of the leaky hole in that system. Because one thing that's true about this is this is a really high pressure situation. You have a high conflict personality that's unmovable. You have, you know, the court system and like bureaucracy and that nightmare. Um, and, 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 and then you have you. And if you're easily the leaky hole, people are going to just shove stuff that way. Even if the court professionals um, and divorce professionals you're interacting with seem like really good people, like how are they still... They're making, they're making some sort of judgment. They've ascertained that you're, that it's, it's easier for them to dump this on you than it is to uh, stand firm against this high conflict personality. And they could be even doing it on an unconscious level um, because the bottom line is, it's like in a society where we're, we're under high pressure, we're under deadlines, we're under, get this done, get this done, next, 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 next. It's, you know, there's no contextual relevance to kind of your humanity in this situation. And so if you present as the leaky valve, the pressure system will push stuff through the leaky valve. So practicing that in a less high stakes scenario, i.e. interpersonally, um, you could probably even do it with your friends. You'd be interested in the ways that it can show up. But this is a notice it. Practice it in a very low stakes arena, not a uh, means to be like, hey, here's here's a way you're deficient. It's like, hey, we've, we've come to radical acceptance. Now that we've done the hard work of radical acceptance, let's see what we can do with this information. Let's see how we can pivot and start building um, some resiliency so we can show up how we want to in the highest stakes of this entire game, which is ultimately having their children, our children with the protective parent and getting kind of some sort of semblance of the justice that you're probably doing in this situation. So how did this show up for you? Well, it showed up for sure for me at work because that's how I, I got my validation. Look, give me a gold star, right? Like I did it. I figured it out. I'm so smart. Yay me. But that's all I was getting out of it was like a high five. And they were like, cool. <laughs> like, we have time off. We can do what we want. She'll take care of it. She'll take care of it. And she seems to not need much for it. Just keep giving it to her. So I was respecting my energy math and decided I can't be giving energy to these extra projects and, and kind of set a boundary in those areas. And I noticed that it was surprising to people at first, but once I started doing it, once I started just saying like, no, I can't, I'm sorry. Like, I've got things going on. I can't show up that way anymore. I didn't have to be mean to it. I just had to stand firm in it. People adapted. 
But the hardest part was me being okay, taking up space in the world. And I needed to practice that in a very low stakes environment prior to doing that when it came to talking about, you know, the amount of time uh, I got with my child. So, Don Malcolm, thank you for being here. I'm going to put all of your information, including your Survivor Story episode, which you were Gene in your Survivor Story episode, in our show notes so people can contact you and listen to your story. Just a really big thank you for being here and being you and um, you know, imparting all of your knowledge and your experience with everyone uh, in our community today. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Brandon. And I look forward to seeing everyone in the support groups. Well, Don Malcolm, thank you once again for being here. All of her information will be in our show notes, including her survivor story where her name on the show was Jean. And if you want to be a guest on our survivor story episodes, like Don Malcolm once was, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. There you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. Also at our website, we have our very own support group where Don Malcolm and I first met. And inside our support group at NarcissistApocalypse.com, you will see that we have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night, Thursday afternoons, and Saturday nights. We have forum boards for you to post on to get the validation that you need and for you to validate other survivors just like you. So if you need support, press the support group button at the top of the page at NarcissistApocalypse.com. And if you need even more support, please do visit our friends at DomesticShelters.org. DomesticShelters.org has articles and resources to help you make sense of what you are dealing with. They have every phone number, email address, and website address for shelters and agencies. No matter how big or small your town is, they have it there at DomesticShelters.org. It is a wonderful free resource, so please do visit them today. And that is it for our show. So for myself... And Don Malcolm, we hope you have a good night.